every generation there is a chosen podcast. It alone will analyze the subtext, the allegory, and the clever Whedon-esque dialogue. It is Conversations with Dead People. to Conversations with Dead People. I'm your host, Paul Smith, and uh, with the help of guests from the worlds of fandom and academia, I've been exploring the comics, films, and television series that uh, have spun themselves out of the creative minds in, around, and beyond the Whedonverse. Uh, And with me this week, for the very first time, kind of, uh, the voice of the Listener's Council. I decided since this is a podcast, we're a, we're an audio medium. We are not a visual visual medium. We do not have a Watcher's Counselor Council. We have a Listener's Council. <laughs> and the voice of that Listener's Council since day one is finally making an appearance on the show. Wesley Mead, welcome aboard. Thank you, sir. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. And, you know, expanding. Be- I mean, I love my introduction. Don't get me wrong, but I've got a bit more to say. <laughs> I'm sure some people, I'm sure it's blowing their mind to if they just listen, if they do not skip past that wonderful intro every week. I mean, there's there's no way any of your listeners would do that, right? No, absolutely not. So they, they've been listening. They've heard your voice uh, 77 times at this point. Wow. And uh, I mean, I. I'm practically a celebrity to like your fans, right? You, I mean, uh, you're way better. You're way more popular than I am. I guarantee it. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so yeah, there are probably some people that are confused that the voiceover has just continued into the show right now. <laughs> this is this is where conversations with dead people goes all meta. <laughs> <laughs> well, how have you been, man? Uh, it's it's uh, it's shocking to me, and it is a it's a travesty that I have not actually had you on the show before this. So thank you for for no, in- yeah, indulging no, my me. pleasure. I mean, I'm I'm glad it's it's finally happening. I'm really happy to be here. I mean, big fan of the show, obviously, big fan of yourself, and uh, big fan of Buffy and Angel. Um, so yeah, it, it makes sense that this is finally happening. So are you just going to keep up that fake British accent the whole time? Or are you going to talk normal? Oh yeah, man! You know how it is. <laughs> okay, never mind. Go back to the fake British accent. <laughs> oh no, it's not fake. Wazo, you are my very—you're my very favoriteest, very British person. I I appreciate that. You know, my my voice is a little more nasal than Wesley's, but uh, we—is it? You know, we share a name as well. Yeah. That's the other thing, right? I mean, two British Wesleys in one podcast. I don't know if that's happened before. Yes. Well, my fallback—if I couldn't have convinced you to be the voice of the show i was gonna reach out to alexis denisoff and see if he would do it but i didn't want to i didn't want to do that i'm glad i got my first choice absolutely so. yeah no I, I i appreciate that i mean he, he often plays second fiddle to me i i can see why <laughs> you're a lovely man <sighs> all right so um man i'm 
I'm so off my game. It's so weird to get back into a podcast after like a four month hiatus. Uh, so <laughs> for listeners who uh, do not already know, uh, let me give you a little heads up, a little warning, a potential spoiler warning here. This podcast, um, we're going to be discussing the plots, characters and themes of each of the episodes we're here to talk about in depth and also within the context of the series as a whole, which means there's going to be spoilers. There's going to be a ton of spoilers for Angel, the series, obviously, um, but probably also Buffy. And who knows? Maybe Firefly, maybe some Dollhouse. Who knows where the conversation will lead us? So my advice would be, if you're uncomfortable with spoilers, pause, go watch the show, at least go watch these episodes, and then come back and, and join us when you're ready. Um, and with that official warning out of the way, uh, Wezo, if you're ready, let's go to work. Let's roll. Uh, let's so... roll. All right. So tonight we're talking about three episodes. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, 207 Darla, 208 The Shroud of Ramon, which is weird to say out loud. It's, you know, I, I heard you struggling at the end of the last episode. Ramon, Ramon, it's, it's not intuitive. It's not. I think they, I think they pronounced it Ramon they in this, it Ramon which in is show, weird because yeah. Ramon is also the name of the, the devious bartender at uh, Caritas. Yeah. Uh, anyways, and then 209, The Trial. So those are the three we're going to talk about. But let's kick off with uh, Darla, which originally aired uh, on November 14th, 2000, <clears throat> was written and directed by Tim Minear. This is uh, Tim Minear's directorial debut. And um, Wezo, go. What do you think? Uh, so let's, I'll give you a bit of context as to my kind of like experience with Buffy and Angel. So back. You know what? I apologize. I always, <laughs> I <laughs> first time guests, I always ask them what their background with it is. I'm so, rewind. Up. Forget I said all of that. Let's go back to the beginning. And yes, what's your history with the show? So I first, uh, well, I say discovered, I first watched Buffy all the way through when I was about 15, 16 years old. I was into, not intimately, I was very familiar with the show before that. It had become a kind of tea time TV staple here, which sounds a bit odd. Uh, but in the UK, Buffy was most successful in a slot directly after The Simpsons and Fresh Prince of Bel-Air on BBC Two. So it often ran at 6.45 in the evening. So pretty early. So it was like kind of a tradition that people of my kind of generation <laughs> uh, would kind of sit down with a meal at six and watch like Simpsons, Fresh Prince, Buffy, you know, holy trio. Um, but I never really kind of, I watched a few episodes here and there, never really got into it. I don't think I appreciated serialized television back when I was eight, nine, ten years old. A um, few years later... I had uh, met friend of the podcast Arlo online. I'd met a, f a few other TV buffs, and they were all like, you know, where's a, you really need to watch Buffy? Like, it's a major blind spot for you. So when I was about 15, 16 years old, I bought the complete uh, DVD box set and watched it all the way through across a period of about two months. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely adored it. You know, it was um, I was already into kind of uh, the teen angst subgenre. I really liked Freaks and Geeks and my so-called life. And it was so neat to blend that with, you know, the genre stuff. Like, I wasn't really a genre guy at this point. This was, Buffy was kind of my introduction to fantasy TV, um, that and the X-Files. So, yeah, I, I absolutely adored it. And then completely failed to watch Angel uh, for about five years. 
Where's her? I mean, I, I know. Poor form. So <laughs> three years, four years after that, I met my now wife, Shani. And uh, 2009. And she was like, uh, so you really like Buffy. You don't have Angel on DVD, though. And I said, never seen an episode of Angel. Never seen a minute of Angel. She was horrified because <laughs> she prefers Angel to Buffy. <laughs> your, so, your wife is a very smart woman. Well, I I, I agree. Uh, so so we bought the DVD set of Angel, and again across the period of a couple of months, the next year we watched it all the way through. And afterwards, I was like, actually, yeah, this is even better than Buffy. Like this is proper all time stuff. I you know, so really loved it. I have like a you know ranked top TV list, ranked it really high. And then since 2010, I haven't watched a minute of either Buffy or Angel. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's so, I mean, there's so much stuff to watch. There's so that, much stuff to thing. watch. That's the thing. I mean, you know, Paul, you know, and listeners, I guess I'm about to tell you, I, I watch a lot of TV. Like, there's, I'm, I'm one of those people who, like, tries to, desperately tries to consume all of the pop culture in the world. <laughs> Fails miserably, but I try to get through it. Oh, you're making a dent. From what I understand, <laughs> you, you are making a dent trying to make that dead um but the conversations with dead people i've been listening along for the most part and i've you know got back into you know the flow of buffy and angel and so when paul suggested i actually come on the show not just to read the introduction but to chat about episodes i was really kind of excited to dive back in uh, so this week because we're recording i watched the three episodes we're discussing and they were absolutely fantastic like two in particular uh mm -hmm. but all three were very enjoyable and really made me want to get back into you know i think it, it's been a decade this deserves a full rewatch for me but in the meantime i really enjoyed the two hours i spent with them this, what two hours 15 minutes i spent with the gang this week excellent so so i mean you you didn't rewatch anything before these three so like the only context you have for them is your are your memories and then what you've heard us discuss on the show Right. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. So I'll be spoiling you on future stuff. I, like I'll, I'll mention <laughs> stuff that's coming up and you'll be like, Oh, oh yeah, I guess I remember. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, the, the parallel, you know, I would have loved to have rewatched all five seasons of angel for this, you know, it would have been a great time. <laughs> <laughs> Alas, work did not allow. I get it. I get it. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll let it slide this time. <laughs> Next time I'm going to be kind of fully boned up on this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I will have expected you to watch the entire series at least once before you come back on the show. Uh, and Buffy, and, and Firefly, Buffy. Yeah. and Dollhouse, and Doctor Horrible. <laughs> Doctor Horrible, yes, of course. Um, okay, well, so um, specifically on this episode of Darla, this will be interesting to get your perspective. Uh, yeah. How did you feel about Darla? Uh, Darla the episode or Darla the character? Two very different questions. I, I'm definitely a fan of both. <laughs> okay, I was going to say, answer both then. Yeah, so Darla, I had I had memories of Darla. You know, she's not like a key, key character, but I, I, I remembered her arc, so to speak. Um, I remember that she, like, appears in Buffy and then she's, like, killed off, like, really shortly afterwards and then we, like, kind of meet meet her through flashbacks and then she's revived and what have you. Uh, so this episode kind of... 
not an ideal starting point, but like <laughs> I, it, it kind of is because it's it's the origin story of her, right. like interweaved in with what's going on with Wolfram and Hart right now. But it's the origin story of Dala, and I really enjoyed kind of flashing through like the last four hundred years of her history, right back to you know when she is dying of syphilis. Mm-hmm. Uh, right through all of her experiences with Angel through the through the centuries, through my neck of the woods, they're in uh, they're in South Wales at one point. That's like a, an hour from me. <laughs> <laughs> um, r- really fun episode. I, I really enjoyed the blend of the flashbacks weaved in with the present stuff. I'd that's I guess Hallmark is a bit strong, but that's something that I had kind of forgotten that um, the angel does a fair amount of, you know, like as, as the years go by, you sort of forget that, like, I remember these shows for their uh, clever Whedon-esque dialogue, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's the, the, the narrative stuff here is really like drawing the parallels between the past and the present and what's happening now. I mean, particularly, I mean, I, I don't know if you mind if we jump to the very end where we compare uh, Dala running away from Angel saying not to look for her again and then we cut back to uh, Dala in I think like China a hundred years ago saying that he can't pretend to be who he's not uh, and leaves and she tells him to not look for her again I mean it's 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 interesting like the way they weave those parallels in that yeah. uh, flashbacks are definitely a thing that both shows did uh, to varying effect to you know to varying success i think but um i think this so this episode darla is the seventh episode of the second season of angel and it's it's a uh sister episode it is a companion episode with the season five yeah hang on uh what was it yeah episode seven of season five of buffy Fool for love. Fool for love. Yeah. So I, I was hoping to try and rewatch that as well. Did not succeed at it. It's it's interesting. Again, I've never done the thing where you watch Buffy and Angel in full chronological order interweaved. You know, I've only ever watched them as completely separate entities. Yeah. And I feel like if I do get to a full rewatch, I'd love to actually do that. I mean, I've said on this show that it was a uh, controversial, even to myself, the decision to just do straight Buffy and not worry yeah. about discussing crossover episodes and then do straight angel um now i was watching these shows as they aired so i did like on the original airing of fool for love which aired right before this i did watch them back to back and one of the amazing things that um i should pull up fool for love so i can remember was that uh um was that joss that did that I love that you're asking me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so that was uh, written by Doug Petrie, directed by Nick Mark. So Joss had nothing to do with that. I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, s- both of those directors, Nick Mark and then Tim Minear for Darla, yeah. um, did a tremendous job of telling an interconnected story, a very, a, at times a very intimately interwoven story. There's one scene in particular that is the exact same on both episodes, but right. plays completely differently only because the, of the context you've been given. Anyways, both of those episodes can stand by themselves. Like you can watch Fool for Love and not you don't need to know anything that happens in Darla. 
and vice versa. You can watch Darla without having seen Fool for Love, and the episode stands on its own perfectly. But watching totally. both of those I mean, things I, back to back is a treat. I can imagine. You know, I, I didn't feel deprived from not watching Fool for Love. You know, it felt like this works as standalone. I mean, you know, it really drew me back into the entire Buffyverse as a standalone piece. Um, but equally, I can imagine, you know, I don't remember the episode Fall for Love particularly well, but I can imagine knowing the skill of the creatives behind Buffy and Angel that it must have been a real blast to see those back to back. I mean, both of these stand as some of my favorite examples of their individual series. Like Fool for Love is one of my very favorite Buffy episodes, and this is one of my very favorite Angel episodes. Um, And that it's not only because of the flashbacks flashback structure that both of them use um but because they both use flashbacks particularly well like i said both shows have done flashbacks before and sometimes it works and sometimes times it doesn't i think it works particularly well in these two episodes in darla and fool for love um but also just the stories that are being told even even just aside from you know the technical wizardry of pulling off those flashbacks both stories are really good yeah, I mean, you know, flashbacks aside, the stuff that happens in the present day here is is really compelling as well. And it, it, it had a few lines that really made me laugh out loud. Like, I mean, you cover this kind of every every episode, really. But like this, the Buffyverse is the king of like weaving the sharp, and witty dialogue with like genuinely sincere and dramatic moments. Like, mm-hmm. you know, in other shows, Cordelia saying a line like, unless there's a website, www.obythewayweavedarlastashedhere.com or out of luck, that would completely undercut the tension. But here it's like, it doesn't undercut the drama at all. It works. Like, we know this is a serious situation. And yet, like, you know, it's genuinely hilarious. I would just like to point out that I immediately paused the episode and went and typed that in just to see. Um, yeah. And it does not exist, but I have since been in. Infor- I have since discovered that apparently, at one point, it did. There was That's a cool. time where somebody watching the show grabbed that domain, and I guess they used it just to do like tele- TV, like pop culture review blogs or okay. something. I don't know anything about really what was on it, but it did exist for a time. Apparently, could be interesting to have that set up to redirect to conversations with dead people. Just putting it out there. I. You're saying that as if I know how to do any of that shit. I don't know how to do that. It is a miracle I've done the bare minimum I've done with this show. (laughs) Anyways. All right. So, um, yeah, beautiful flashback structure. Um, But the story here. So the power of this episode of Darla comes from, I I feel like comes from two different places. One, um, it is for longtime fans of, of Buffy and Angel. It's just wonderful to get this character back and to start filling in some of the details, Uh, just to see more of Julie Benz as Darla, I think is always a treat because she's incredible because she she was killed in, I think the first season, I can never remember if it was first or second season. I'm pretty sure it was first season. Uh, yeah. of Buffy uh, and then we only ever saw her in flashbacks or whatever so she had a yeah. presence and the character had built up a fan base but to, f- to actually get her back for real and to, to get this kind of performance out of Julie Benz um, was always a treat I mean, 
I mean, Julie Benz is, I don't know, she's such a powerhouse. Like, Dala's different from every other character on Buffy and Angel. She's, I don't know, almost like a bit naughty or mischievous, kind of. She's got that kind of vibe to her, you know? Like, I don't know, Benz's performance here is really, like, it runs the gamut. Yeah. No, no, it's great because this gives her an opportunity. Like, that's who she's always been on the show. That's what Darla's always been. But now we get to see her under a different circumstance. And so we get to see her play, you know, vulnerable and damaged and frightened um, in the same yeah. episode where we're getting flashbacks to her at some of her, you know, strongest. Which yeah. is so interesting because I, I've, I don't know this for sure, but just from context clues like from little from interviews i've read with uh ben's or quotes that i've heard um i i've gotten the impression that she herself julie ben's uh is not a particularly like forceful presence like she's i get the impression that she is pretty quiet or pretty you know yeah relaxed or laid back and and certain things she said in interviews uh, she's talked about how you know she she was always she always felt like uncomfortable having to be the stronger presence when she's acting against like uh you know the six foot one boreanas or whatever yeah but that never comes across on screen like if that's really the case then i mean that's she's she's a tremendous actress because I've never thought, even even in her ridiculous first appearances, the cheerleader vampire in the first episode of Buffy, <laughs> uh, there's always been something about her. She's always had a gravitas about her that uh, is is convincing. She sells it. So yeah, no, I compl- I completely agree. It's yeah, I I too would be surprised to discover that she's I don't know a relative wallflower or whatever in mm-hmm. real life. But I, I guess that's the power of a great performance. Yeah. I do well. We'll talk about that when we get to the episode where she sings. <laughs> um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> so let's see. Um, obviously, uh, the other big significance here is uh, just that we are learning more about the fearsome foursome. We learn uh, significant. We get another opportunity to learn what it was like for you know the core vampire group of the series. Um, anytime we get to flashback and and get an example of how Drusilla and Angel interacted, yeah. or you know that kind of stuff is always good, and this is all building towards something in this season. Uh, season two of Angel is the season where Angel goes dark. <laughs> he has, uh, without becoming angelus, he he goes to a dark place uh, in just a few episodes, um, and so all of this is kind of building up towards that. And so if you're watching the show through the lens of, you know, kind of knowing what's what's building up and you can you can feel the tension and you can point at things and say, oh, yeah, I can see how this is. <laughs> these are flipping switches in Angel's head right now. Interesting. Yeah, it's so obviously, as I said, I don't remember specifics. One thing that does stick in my mind about Angel is the way all five and again this is not new information to you all five seasons could be completely different shows that's the that's the you know the 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 range and power of this creative team like they do so much with this show like it's 
no episode is like the last and no season is like the last which is something you can i mean i don't think you can even say that of buffy really like angel really does mix things up i remember being surprised by the darkness and depth of season two of angel compared to the first season yeah i mean season two um you know makes a number of improvements over season one i loved season one but it was especially the first half of season one was obviously the finding its footing thing but sure. season yeah, season two is where they really start to settle into the the ongoing narrative <laughs> there are still the occasional like monster of the week episodes and even like the next one we're going to talk about shroud of ramon yeah you could view that as just a filler episode a monster of the week episode but there's significant stuff that happens in that that plays into the larger story so um let's see what else do we get here we, we get another early uh, a little sneak peek another early peek at uh wesley sort of standing up and taking more of a leadership role which is a thing that he's building towards it's just a brief little thing but this is the episode where we yeah. get where he like you know angel wants to rush out they get the address of where darla is and he's going to rush out and wesley like steps in front of him and takes the address and says no you stay i will go do this yeah that that struck me too he wants himself and gun to kind of lead the situations and that they don't they don't angel doesn't want to make any rash decisions and it's one o'clock and the address is in some valley right yeah that that surprised me too because my memory of wesley this early on was very much a bystander mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so that was that was that was uh that was pleasant i mean I, another moment that I particularly, uh, you know, enjoyed was the uh, I missed the view moment like that for a decade on like that still struck me as like, oh, yeah, the Dala, I missed the view like that. That hit hard. Mm. Um, God, I'm just I, I wrote a ton of notes about this particular episode and I'm I'm blinded by them. I'm trying to see what else is I in mean, here. There's, there's a lot. To, so much happens here. There's like a lot to get, like a lot to consider a lot to get through we i am um, another one of my uh my favorite kind of witty kind of tension breaking lines was in the uh when the uh dala brings him before the master and she's bragging about the destruction they wrought through england um and uh <clears throat> that section just full of like quotable memorable lines like uh <laughs> angels kind of i don't know banter with the master and like uh <laughs> describing the how where they live as a rat infested sinkhole and uh then the uh it won't last i give it a century tops line that's the perfect yes. cap. <laughs> that is a great line that is a great line yeah we, i yeah. totally forgot to even mention that we get mark metcalf back as the master which um I, i'm sure i talked about that i think this is his one and only appearance in angel i don't think we ever see him again um so in the chronology of this podcast it's the last time we're going to be seeing uh, mark metcalf as the master but i really didn't appreciate him enough in my initial viewing of season one of buffy like i thought he was <laughs> kind of goofy and the makeup was questionable and now that's a fair statement. <laughs> yeah, <that's> fair. <laughs> makeup effects back then were a little questionable. The ma- the yeah. master makeup effects in this look superb, and it's just a delight. Like, I mean, fans of of Buffy, pretty famously, I think I won't say universally, but I think um, 
most fans would say, oh, the mayor is the best. Yeah, yeah. You know, big bad or whatever. Um, and I don't disagree, but I put the master higher on the list than I think a lot of people do. I, I, I really just love him, Mark Metcalf, yeah. in that role. Especially, particularly if you know who Mark Metcalf is. If you know him from... You know, yeah. Animal House or or absolutely the, yeah <laughs> the Twisted Sister video, <laughs> like yeah right. <laughs> just imagining that guy in this role is a delight. So it's hilariously incongruous. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, so some other moments I liked here. Uh, I, I really hit me hard when uh, all the mirrors and reflective surfaces were smashed in the right. room when, where Darla was staying. Yeah. And uh, Angel says it, he believes it's because she can't face looking at herself. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think that's, a again, a really deep and profound moment. I love that. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, we get... man. We, all... we haven't really talked about um, Lindsay or Wolfman Hart in general much either. I'm... <laughs> I mean, obviously they play a big role here i mean wolfram and hart you can't like this whole darla thing is one of their schemes but um i guess sometimes it's difficult to figure out uh, before this i think it was difficult to always know what wolfram and hart was up to yeah for a while they were kind of just there to be the the vague you know bad guy in the background or whatever bad, you... like antagonist lurking. yeah yeah absolutely yeah um and this se- early season two is definitely trying to establish them as having a plan like, like they're the yeah. they're the cylons of the show they have a plan um, <laughs> you don't always know what it is but i feel like uh with the darla thing it's starting to come together here um where it really does boil down to something just as simple as they're using Darla to mess with Angel's head, which sounds yeah. pretty, I mean, that's pretty vague or doesn't sound like a master plan or whatever, but I can't. It, it sounds vague, but across this episode and the trial that obviously we're going to come to later, like, I mean, that, that actually, co- you know, coheres into something pretty, pretty well defined. And uh, yeah. 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 And, um, and I think it's genius, actually, because um, they they're trying they're trying to turn Angel dark. I fe- I can't remember what episode it was. I'm almost positive it's one that I've already discussed on the show. But there's a line where someone says, "We don't want him dead. We want him dark," um, and that's what they're trying to do. They don't want Angelus because there's no possible way that they yeah. could control <laughs> that they could use Angelus. For sure, <laughs> uh, they just want Dark Angel. They're trying to push him as dark as they can, and that's what the whole yeah. Darla thing is. And uh, yeah, and it's actually, in terms of a long game, it's actually pretty genius. I think um, the whole thing totally. with Lindsay gradually, not even gradually, just kind of really quickly falling in love with Darla. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean. I grow to love the character of Lindsay. Like the character of Lindsay gets deeper as the show progresses, obviously. Um, yeah. Early on, he's really just kind of the smarmy, obnoxious bad guy that you love to see, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, bump chests with Angel. But um, I guess this constitutes one of the, one of the glimpses into maybe the softer side of Lindsay. I'm- 
I felt that way, you know. I mean, for me, joining this, you know, in progress as such, I, I felt like he had depth here. I mean, I have fond memories of Lindsay. I, I really like Christian Kane. Mm. I, I think he does a, you know, really great performance. And I have, but a lot of my fondest memories of Lindsay are from those later seasons. Um, so I was actually, I, I was pleasantly surprised by the kind of the love sequence here. I mean, you know. <laughs> Uh, is it entirely kind of believable? Well, I, I think Christian Kane and Julie Benz put in a great performance in that sequence, though. I mean, they, they're convincing, e- even if the script, even if the if the script may not entirely be. I, I believe Lindsay. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I mean, I, I I certainly didn't hate it. It didn't take it didn't take me out of the story or anything. But there there was a brief moment where I would. I think it's maybe when Angel confronts Lindsay. Which must be in the trial. It's not in this episode. When he yeah, confronts yeah. him and says, "Are you? Do you love her?" And I was, yeah, <laughs> like his sort of uh, his reaction to that was kind of like mine. I was like, "Yeah, wait a minute, hang on, Lindsay, you love Darla already?" Uh, but whatever. Yeah. Um, there's a it. So most of my notes are about the flashback. So I'm just going to talk about some of this stuff. Uh, yeah. There's in the 1880 London flashback, um, which that's the origin. That's Fool for Love was the 1880 storyline when William, the bloody awful poet, uh, becomes Spike. Yeah. So we get to see uh, Drusilla, and we get the great line of uh, while well, William bumps into them and and rushes past, which was a scene we saw from the other angle in Fear for Love. Okay. Um, and then Drew's like, oh, I could pick the wisest and bravest knight in all the land and make him mine forever with a kiss. And then Darla's like, or you could just take the first drooling idiot that comes along, <laughs> which yeah, you could, you could, you know, say that they're both right there. Um, but <laughs> yeah. also in that 1880 flashback, uh, Darla has a lot, or not Darla, uh, Drew has a line um where she says uh don't be cross i to darla she says this to darla don't be cross i could be your mummy and at the time you know that's just another one of the whacked things that tumble out of drusilla's mouth she says all sorts of crazy stuff that doesn't that's very non sequitur and doesn't mean anything but in light of what happens two episodes after that uh, uh, the, the third episode we're going to talk about yep. tonight, uh, yep. I feel like that had to be intentional. The writing of that line had to have been setting up what's about to happen. Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. So I just love that. I love that little detail. Also, another thing to notice from the flashbacks is that um, Darla never straight up tells spike or drew that angelus has had his soul restored yes yeah which seemed i don't know it didn't i didn't consciously think that was weird it was just kind of in the back of my mind i i half registered that but that is that's clearly because they had to leave it they had to leave those characters in a space where they could show up later in school hard and spike's first appearance on buffy and discover that angel had his soul back that makes sense yeah so yeah that's what that was about that makes sense uh what one thing we haven't discussed so obviously with with buffy and angel in particular like 
watching the episodes, you're very focused on the dialogue and the plot. But Angel in particular, because it came those few years after Buffy, like, it's a really good-looking show. Buffy had... I remember season one but being a little too dark and washed out, and the effects could be dodgy. Here, there's some fantastic sets here. There's some yeah. great makeup here. And they take full advantage. Like, I'm sure they had to cut the costs on some other episodes in this season to balance for it, but there, there's, like, so many cool sets here. Like, the, the Boxer Rebellion stuff looks really great. Yeah. Um, like, they do a great job. Like, you wouldn't have to have the text on the screen telling you what period and location we're in almost like they make them so visually distinct. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I don't, I, I didn't do the research to find out what the budget for this episode and, and conversely, um, fool for love. I don't know if those two episodes were budgeted as if they were going to be like event episodes. Yeah. Um, or if they just, made really good use of the budget that they usually had but um they yeah. certainly are they're standout episodes in terms of production value and, and visuals i would agree absolutely and I, I also so again this was my first jump back into angel in a long time um but i really love the score it was beautiful and yes. reading about it afterwards i saw that actually a lot of these themes were written specifically for dala for this episode i mean that there, there, there's some haunting beautiful stuff in that i agree um is that uh robert crawl is the That's composer right, yeah, yeah and, and he really loved the fact that he got to because it was so darla centric he didn't have to rely on all of the old established like angels theme and yeah. you know spikes so he got to really go to it i also read that um he and i'm not gonna remember who scored fool for love uh it, anyways the the composer that was uh, working i don't think it was i don't think it was uh i can't even think of the guy's name now christoph beck is that is it was is it um oh god is it that the guy who has the name that looks like the British swear word wanker. Oh, that's it, Thomas Wanker. Oh my God. Oh, thank thank you for being so British. Though. Uh, was that? Yeah. So that's, that's the only Buffy composer I can name <laughs> on the top of my head because he's got such a dodgy name here. That's crazy. That is crazy. Anyway, so yeah, the two of them uh, deliberately chose not to like they they talked about it and said we're not going to work together because we want these two musically to be coming from different perspectives yeah so I, I thought that was cool yeah no that's that's really cool that's <laughs> really impressive actually yeah <laughs> i mean great. that's the story it could be that they couldn't stand each other and didn't want to work together but the story is they chose not to collaborate yeah um well so uh, there's so much to say about this episode but the last thing i'll say is uh, i alluded to a particular flashback scene that is exactly the same it's not shot from a different angle it's the exact same shot in both fool for love and uh darla yeah. and it's in the boxer rebellion uh and it's it's the power walk i am a sucker for like slow motion power walks there's just they're so cheesy but god i love them so much but it's the power sure. walk the slow motion of the four uh vampires walking towards camera and of course spike has that jaunty he jumps yeah. over that crate and the coat flares out behind him now in yeah. fool for love um, that was a hundred percent Spike's scene because that story was being told by Spike. You were in, that's the 
mindset you were in. So your eyes are on him and that is him being cocky and flamboyant. And it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, a cheer moment or whatever. Like that's a very triumphant scene in the context Mm. of his story, that exact same scene, uh, no adjustments made to it at all. Scene from the angel episode, your eyes are, well, my eyes are still drawn to jaunty spike because they naturally are, but (laughs) You're what you're more closely watching Angel, who here instead of you know as you were watching Fool for Love, Angel just looked like he was the you know Angelus, the brooding monster who was storming out to cause havoc. What yeah. you're seeing here actually is that that is Angel pretending to be Angelus, and he is stooped and hunched and defeated by what is going on around him and the fact that he has to play along with it at this moment. Yeah. So it's just brilliant. I love it. I mean, I, I really, really need to watch that Buffy episode to compare and contrast. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry that I'm rubbing <laughs> it in that you did not rewatch really it. Um, I'm, I'm going to have to find time. That's not going to benefit your listeners, but I'm, I'm going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Well, should we move on to the next one so I can stop dragging you for Fool for Love? <laughs> I think so. I mean, so overall, like, I, I really loved that episode. It was. Uh, you know the perfect springboard back in probably would have been the first episode of buffy but i'm <laughs> i'm happy that i got back in got back got back on the wagon with Dale. it was a fun fun time and a and a powerful time excellent all right well so you just we just talked about the budget on darla and you said maybe that they had to cut maybe they pulled budget from other episodes potentially the next two that we're going to talk about <laughs> maybe i mean i i'm not going to throw too much shade at the at uh certainly the trial i'm not going to throw too much shade at it but there are things that we can discuss and the this next one uh, episode 208 the shroud of ramon original air date november 21st 2000 uh written by my beloved jim he's my beloved but i've never learned how to pronounce his name cough or coof i always say coof uh, who, uh, of course, wrote the season one episode five by five, the Faith episode, which is my absolute yep. favorite episode of anything uh, <laughs> Buffy or Angel. Nice. Um, and directed by David Grossman. So, what do you think about the 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 Rat Pack Bro Angel episode? <laughs> That's certainly the highlight. So I had a good time with this episode. I, and I actually enjoyed it more than I thought I would. I had memories that this was kind of right down there at the bottom of the, the kind of worst of the worst Angel episodes. And it, it's all relative. I'm not sure there are any episodes of Angel I actively disliked when I, when I watched through the show. But I wasn't expecting a lot from this episode. Uh, and it pleasantly surprised me. I mean, you know, it is a monster of the week episode in a sense, you know. And doesn't feel particularly substantial it's a bit junk foody mm-hmm. um but there's some fun stuff here i mean you know i i had a great time with uh angel as jadon yes. <laughs> that, that, that's that that's the image that's gonna you know stick in my memory from this so it, it's certainly not a total loss at all and again it, it has fun with the narrative for, like as I watched the opening of the episode, so we open on Wesley being interrogated by detectives about uh, an attempted murder and Wesley's kind of with tiptoeing around what happened. And he's saying like, he wasn't supposed to be here. Mm -hmm. And 
it had me intrigued. I, I, I was I was kind of you know well where is this going? I don't remember yeah. this particularly well. What's going to happen? Yeah, no, I, th- that that stuff goes on the good side for yeah. in in my review of this episode. I feel this episode is kind of equal parts um, engaging and forgettable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's that's fair. The, I, I think that's fair. The engaging stuff, I think, was some of the like the, I was gonna say noir homage stuff, but it's more like, I don't know, maybe it's noir. It's more like detective. Uh, yeah, that stuff. kind of classic thriller stuff. Yeah, and, know, and so Wesley totally. being interrogated, you know, that's a nice little shock into the episode, a nice little cold open into the episode. Um, yep. The the misdirect of Angel killing Kate. I thought yeah. was, you know, well done. That was a shocking reveal early in the episode, and then we build up to find, you know, to revealing what actually happened there. I thought that was done well. Yeah. I liked the fact that that in- led to Angel fixating on the memory of him biting Kate and drinking her very human blood, which yeah. we'll get to. But um, yeah. then the sort of the forgettable stuff, or the what do you call it, the junk foodie stuff, I think would be just the yeah. the MacGuffin of the shroud itself. That's pretty standard you know haunted object of the week very scooby-doo totally yeah i know i think i think scooby-doo is the right the right way to put it you know ultimately there's not much of a a twist on the on the genre within that element of the plot i mean it's fairly predictable and if it wasn't for the jadon stuff giving us a kind of (laughs) a bit of a, a fun angle on things a fun twist I do think the episode would be like some of those episodes of X Files that, like, you you watch and a couple of days later you forgot that you ever watched them. Like right, the, yeah. they're kind of padding out the season a little bit. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, it's not it's not even particularly heavy on brilliant lines. Although <laughs> the one I made sure to write down was um, Cordelia talking about saying, "Don't unearth tombs. <laughs> You've got to leave your tombs out." That really yes. tickled me. Yeah. That that kind of play on what like I. I that that really made me laugh. <laughs> yep, can always count on Cordelia. Her she had a, she had another line that I thought I didn't write any lines down for this one, but I remember she had the one when when they're at the museum and she's under the influence and she's like looking at her reflection in the that display oh, yeah. case or whatever, and she's like, "My teeth are so big. <laughs> yeah. I am pleasant." Yeah. Absolutely. This show knows how to have fun with its characters when they're kind of you know, not in their in, in the correct mental space. Something is affecting them. Yeah, yeah. that was uh, that was great. Yeah. Um, despite the presence of uh, Tony Todd and the the, so, so I had no idea that Tony Todd was such a legend. But I, I looked oh, him yeah. up afterwards, and he's like, he's in Candyman. Candyman. He's in like one of the Final Destination films. I mean, he's a horror legend. So. I enjoy that they got him. That's pretty neat. Yeah. Now, d- well, despite his presence and uh, one of the other goons, which so the, the sort of stock and cliche goons are another one of the junk food aspects of this episode, I would say. Sure. Um, and, and I say that despite the fact that one of them is Tony Todd, who is a legend um, yeah. and has done some fantastic stuff. He's also done a lot of shit stuff, but he's done, a, he's done some fantastic <laughs> That's stuff. That's the case with a lot of kind of horror genre yeah. legends, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but then the other the other guy the 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 guy the mastermind of the whole uh, heist which by the way heist stories are usually fun and this one was kind of forgettable but yeah uh, that was W Earl Brown um, oh wow who yeah. like he's also done a ton of stuff some of it good some of it bad but I will always think of him 
from uh, Deadwood. Oh, of course, yeah. And then most recently, he's been in uh, book uh, like The Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett. Got it. So I had completely forgotten he was in Deadwood, but yeah, that's a, that's a great call out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyways, despite the fact that I love both of those actors, uh, the the goons were kind of forgettable. Yeah, there's those those scenes. They're not incredibly memorable. I mean, I, there's one other line I dug where one of them set, talk, is talking about humans always have to feel something. They always have to say, "I'm so happy. I'm sad. I'm scared. It makes me sick." And Angel says, "Oh, I, I like it when they're scared. It makes them taste, you know, a bit salty." salty. That, that was. <laughs> Yeah, that was fun. Um, I don't know. I don't know why I got I got such a giggle out of it. But uh, Gun is wearing Gun's like hoodie. Did you see what was written on it? I did not. It was. I, I don't. I have no idea if it's a reference to something or what. I just thought it was funny in the context of being on Angel. But it was five 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 Soul Brooklyn. I don't know what the heck that's a reference to. But just because it had the word Soul on it, I was like. I it struck me funny for some. That's pretty neat. That's, that's a fun reason. attention to detail. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so, the uh, the only so I said that there was something even in this sort of you know waffling episode, this trifle of an episode. Yeah. There's still something in it that kind of plays into or potentially plays into the larger story, um, and that would be that damnable MacGuffin of the shroud which is otherwise utterly forgettable even the way they destroyed it like this shroud is supposed to i can't remember how old it is but it's supposed to have been around for like a thousand years and how do you destroy right. it set it on fire really <laughs> that's never happened before fire, like... <laughs> i was like okay. i mean they probably could have come up with something a little more exciting or unusual <laughs> especially since that scene happened I mean, I think what was supposed to be going on is Angel was momentarily broke the influence of the Shroud. Yes, but it yeah. played it played as if he just had some epiphany where he was like, oh my gosh, I solved it. I've solved the puzzle. I know how to defeat the Shroud. I'm going to set it on fire. The same way you defeat any other object. <laughs> That's right. Pour, douse it in alcohol and set it alight. Exactly. Exactly. Which is a way he will deal with a problem coming up in a few episodes. I don't know okay. if you remember the whole. I do not. The whole Darla Drusilla thing. Oh. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, you're, you're right. Yeah. This is a spoiler yeah. show. I don't know why I'm being so coy, but. It's because I just told you that I'm going to rewatch it. And, uh, but yeah. don't don't think of me. I don't deserve it. Uh, let's, it's let's, my own downfall. Let's just say Angel solves a lot of problems with fire in this season. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Um, but no, the. Uh, so the the sort of weight that I feel like this episode ultimately has is the the effect of that shroud. Um, I don't know how much of it lingers. Like I don't I don't know that it necessarily stays with Angel for very long, but it starts the ball rolling. I think it's one of the re so so spoiler alert the the shock twist ending where we see that Angel you know Wesley mm -hmm. says he's concerned because. Angel just tasted human blood for the first time in a long time, which is not true, which is not true. We've seen yeah. in previous episodes that he has in fact tasted human blood more recently than, uh, than Wesley was uh, suggesting. Yeah. But, uh, and then, and then, you know, Angel is up in his room 
fond, lingering on the memory. Ruminating, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's supposed to be really chilling. Um, to the best of my knowledge, that never comes back. Like, I don't think that that ever plays out. It doesn't, it's not a fear that we have in future episodes, unless I'm just not remembering. It's, it's interesting. It felt like that moment was supposed to be a little weightier, a little heavier than it actually was. Yeah. Like, for me, it was one of the scenes that didn't quite land in this episode. Okay. Um, well, what I think that is, is, is uh, just evidence that his exposure to the Shroud is helping push him down that darker path. So like I said, where, sure. where these episodes are going is Angel's about to go on a very dark path. Yeah. Um, and that was just another sort of, you know, rung on the ladder or whatever. Yeah. But I mean, if not for that, this really is basically just a filler episode. It breaks my heart to say that because I because five by five is essential viewing for me, and I will I will never let go of that as <laughs> as being probably my favorite of all the episodes. Um, yeah. And Jim Jim Koof wrote both of these, so I mean they can't all be winners, I suppose. But yeah, that's what it comes down to. I mean, I'm. We've talked on other podcasts. I'm a huge advocate of 22 episode seasons because it really allows you to kind of mix things up and st- make do stylistic experiments, try things that are independent of the ongoing arc of a series. Right. It's so rare to see shows that kind of really get that balance right in the streaming era. But it does lead to some episodes being forgettable trifles that kind of don't really do anything new, don't figure into an arc. So you just kind of forget they're there. It's so interesting that we come from this from two different perspectives. You are very British, so you've grown up in a culture that has seasons, or as you call them, series, that are like (laughs) six or eight episodes long. That's just normal. That's what you're used to. Um, Whereas... I'm very American and grew up with 22, 28 episode <laughs> seasons yeah. of TV. And so it took me a while to warm up to the, the sort of uh, British format, um, it, it, which is it, kind it, of my preferred format now. That's interesting. I mean, it's tough. The British way of doing things is primarily driven by the fact that most British shows traditionally were only written by one person. It wasn't mm. like a whole creative team working on them. It was just one guy. So six episodes a year was kind of like, well, that's what one person can do. I grew up on a lot of British shows, but then when I discovered The Simpsons and that led me into like American sitcoms like Friends and Frasier, I was like, wow, the output here is so there's so much more than in britain and yet they're still keeping the quality level generally high um and for me it kind of led me to be disappointed that a lot of my favorite british shows hadn't kind of toyed with their formats a bit more hadn't tried out a few more things you know so many of the best british shows of all time have got like eight episodes that's all you're getting sherlock which had so much international attention three episode seasons i mean really that's just like i'd forgotten they were that short i forgot they were that short yeah Wow. Yeah, I mean it's 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 crazy. So for me, for me, I think that kind of initial appeal of wow, you can do 20, 30 episode seasons if you want to. That kind of never went away for me. Yeah. From discovering that. And so I have a real attachment to that. Well, I I agree with what you said that uh it is nice to have that much room to move, to maneuver yeah. and to try new things. It's sometimes great things come out of the willingness to experiment like once more with feeling 
Exactly. Would we have ones more with Phoenix? Would we have smile time if these were 10 episode seasons? I'm right. not sure we would. Yeah, right, yeah. Okay, well, let's, uh, unless you had anything else to say about this one. No, no further commentary on that one. Okay. I, I feel like, so one thing I did consider is like, maybe if it would have been more fun if they'd really gone once I discovered uh, that they'd had Tony Todd on there mm. if they'd kind of gone all in with like a whole gang of horror movie legends being in that or, detect, or you know kind of noir legends um, that could have been fun but I don't think it would have fundamentally changed the issues with the episode I suppose that would have been cool and now and, and it is I mean it would have been nice to have Tony Todd as a I didn't particularly love his character in this, but maybe that's just because we didn't give that much of him. Yeah. Maybe if we could have had Tony Todd as a guest villain for, you know, a three or four episode arc, it would have been fun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to the trial episode 209, the trial, which uh, originally aired November 28th, 2000 uh, written by David Greenwald. So David Greenwald is uh, credited with the story. Doug Petrie and Tim Minear are credited with the teleplay. Uh, and directed by Whedonverse uh, workhorse Bruce Bruce Seth Green, who I feel like probably I don't know I'm just making this up, but I feel like he's probably directed more episodes of both shows than anybody else. <clears throat> um, all right, so what do you think about this one? Uh, yeah, th- this was great. If you know, if the Shroud of Ramon had me kind of teetering a little bit this 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 dragged me right back in this is a a gripping tense episode lots of stuff going on here and it's all incredibly compelling it's that kind of television where you can't look away you know we get a couple of flashbacks here but we're mostly in the present day and it's that second half of the episode with the excitement of what's going to happen during this uh this trial that that angel has to go through to win darla a second chance at life uh that has i mean it, it had me genuinely gripped you know i was i was enthralled with it <laughs> i know it's episode nine of season two of angel i know this is not no way is this going to be the end of it <laughs> right but there is a genuine sense of jeopardy like we're really not sure how this is that this thing is going to pan out it those three trials are tense well, the two trials and then the the question. Right, <laughs> right, right. So that's fascinating. I'm, I'm glad you said that because hopefully we can reach the same place from two different directions because uh, I think this is overall a fantastic episode. I really uh, – the stuff that goes right in this episode I think uh, lifts it uh, above maybe even perhaps um, – the station it deserves the rank it deserves i don't know there's stuff in this that i love a lot yeah um the titular trial itself is not necessarily one of those things Interesting. Um, my feeling on the trial is that it's it, in sort of grand buffy verse style it's pretty basic and like tv budget uh, <laughs> by by which i mean it's a three-part trial and in the first the first part of this trial, he has to fight a demon yeah. like any other of a thousand demons that we've seen Angel fight. Um, sure. And then the second trial is he has to run down a hallway that's got crosses in it, which, I mean, he could have he could have parkoured his way through that fucking hallway. Um, and, and even if he didn't. So, all right. So he's got blisters on his feet and he almost burns his hand off getting the key. Uh, 
not a particularly compelling. It was a f- fantastic design. The, the set design of that hallway was gorgeous. Yeah, I, I was literally about to say. So for me, so the first trial, I enjoyed the demon. Demon's obviously not a fresh thing for the Buffy verse. You know, I get it. We've seen him do this before. I, I thought it was fun, though. I thought it was a tense kind of fight scene. And I enjoyed the slicing of the demon in two and then it like recombines and his like solution is to cut it again and chain the pieces to opposite sides of the room. Maybe, maybe that's a little basic. I don't know. To me, that was fun. And like, it felt felt like a fun kind of, no, I liked the solution. I liked seeing the two body parts, the the two halves of the body hanging. That was fun. I thought, I thought that was, that was great fun. The second trial, I it's interesting when you phrase it as you did, you're like, actually, yeah, all he did was like burn his hand and feet. I mean, <laughs> I hadn't thought about it that way, but I think on the show, you're right. Visually, it looks so good that like, Oh, I guess I almost didn't consider that there's not a whole lot to it because it's an, it's a really great looking scene. Like it, it looks different to everything. Like it looks like this is something special. This is an event. Yeah. So, I think the weakness of, and it does have that little twist, right? He gets to the end and then he's like, oh, damn, it's locked. Where's the key? Oh, yeah, it's in the holy water, right. of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it, it had that little kicker to it as well. And as, I, as a, I just want to say, as a gamer, as someone who plays a lot of video games, I felt Angel's Pain in that moment where you you come to yeah. a new level and you're like, oh, my God, this is crazy. How am I going to survive? You rush through and then you're like, oh, shit, I needed to go explore that level way better. <laughs> You know, it's it's funny because that makes so much sense. And my thought when watching it is as an escape room fan. Oh, there you go. Addicted to escape rooms, exactly the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, come on, man. It's not going to be that easy. You've got to think ahead. Where's this going to be hidden? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, oh, damn. What else was I going to say about that, that whole trial thing? Oh, so... This is a thing, even as a, a huge fan of Buffy and Angel, you know, the, sometimes the the sort of silly television scale conflicts that we get in the shows are obviously not a deal breaker since I'm still enjoying the show and talking about it 20 some years later. But sometimes they're a little bit eye rolling, uh, like particularly in hindsight, when you go back and watch early seasons, and you're like man, I can't believe that watching this on a weekly basis, we thought this scene was devastating or <laughs> whatever, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> sure. So there are, there, there's a the little disconnect that I have sometimes with that. But now that I've poo-pooed that whole trial sequence, I will try and figure out a way to make it thematically weighty. And that is the three, the three trials there weren't, like the trial wasn't that he had to fight a demon. Because like I said, yeah. he fights lots of demons and every episode the stages of the trial were he had to fight for darla that's what that first one was the second one was he had to be willing to suffer for darla because the only thing that was going to come out of that hallway was him in pain yeah and then the third one obviously he has to is he has to be willing to die for darla yes yeah so while for me personally like visually and dynamically i was like this is a little okay whatever this is this is a b-level fight that we'd get in any other episode of the (laughs) series um uh, thematically i think it carries some weight so i i I agree i think that's a great way to put it i think it flows through and there is 
technically kind of the, the step before the trial as well. So he's a it's, a, it's Lorne who tells him, right? So he's, Angel's like trying to figure out what he can do about this. And um, Lorne points him to, he directs him to take the plunge. Yeah. Um, and so we start off with the, the valet saying, you certainly have faith. Now we'll test your valor. So I think there's even that step beforehand of the, you know, the faith as well. Yeah. Angel even calls it a leap of faith. In fact, as they walk up to the pool and Darla's like, maybe he meant a different pool. Uh, <laughs> even Angel was like kind of not really rolling his eyes, but even Angel was like, no, it's a leap of faith. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you know, they want me to throw myself into the pool. And I did like his line of, all right, Darla, either. Uh, I don't remember what he said. I should have written this down. It was something like either. Uh, you're going to see something really cool here or something kind of funny when he was about to jump <laughs> yeah, into the pool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. But, but aside from all of that, the, the all the stuff around the trial, um, I thought was pretty extraordinary. Um, we get yeah. some comedic Wesley in the opening when he's talking about how, you know, he's, Angel's in such a better mood because we had tea. <laughs> yeah. So again, any, any reference to English stuff like Cordelia says to Wesley, you know, if you talk to him and, and asks what he said, and he says, does he prefer milk or sugar in his tea? That, that's just how men talk about things. <laughs> yeah. That was great. Um, and then that was good fun. Uh, another, the other funny bit was Darla. I mean, in context, it's not funny, but there were funny moments in the whole Darla yeah. going to the bar and finding the, <laughs> no, the vampire. That, 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 that is a, a great blend of kind of you know, dramatic and fun. There's, there's again, some fun lines there, like where she says, he's uh, talking to the dorky guys, all awkward, and talking about snacks, and he's like, sweetheart, in this bar, you are the snacks. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but and I but I love how she gets all Darla on him. Like she goes deep, and she's like, you know, you can. I, I, again, I didn't write any of this stuff down, but she's like, you know, find yourself a mate, a companion, to yes. haunt the world for all time or whatever. And he's like, yeah, girl, you've been reading too much Anne Rice. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like, that was, that's yeah. good stuff. Uh, that is great stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so. One of the other memorable moments, of course, is uh, the beautiful song. Yes. Um, yeah. I which, was not expecting that. <laughs> no. And, and that's, uh, uh, I started to say something about uh, Julie Benz earlier. And I said, we'll get, uh, I'll mention this when we get to that, with the part where she sings, is that she is, uh, says she suffers from severe stage fright, which is odd for an actress. But yeah. Uh, and she says she does not consider herself a singer and she was terrified to do that. And David Greenwald had to, con had to talk her into doing that. Uh, and she said the whole time she was filming that scene, she was like in a flop sweat, <laughs> like her hands were sweaty and everything. Crazy. And I, she looked so like gorgeous and I mean, composed. And I thought she had a lovely voice. I thought she did a great job. I, genuinely. She could easily be a singer. That was a yeah genuinely beautiful performance if i was in a bar hearing that i would think it was a professional she does a wonderful job there yeah agreed um so yeah so that was lovely um two things two hints at upcoming storylines which with with your foggy memory 
maybe you didn't catch. Uh, there's the there's the flashback to 1765 France when yeah. they're hiding in the barn. They're being pursued by the vampire hunter. Yeah. And he names the vampire hunter. He says the name Holtz. He says Holtz, right? Yeah. And I was like, "Holy shit! Did Holtz they just did we someone in a later season? Yeah, I, yeah, I, 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 yeah." <laughs> I had no memory that they name dropped that character so early. So that, I thought that was really cool. Um, and then uh, another reference, which I might be reaching on this one. I don't know because because my memory is also foggy about everything, but. <laughs> Um, there's a scene when Darla is out in the courtyard at uh, the Hyperion and she's, you know, picking flowers. And when yes. Angel yeah. goes out to talk to her, she uh, talks about jasmine flowers and the scent. I'm almost positive that the whole reference to jasmine flowers in the courtyard of the Hyperion is a hint at something that's coming up in season four. Like something huge, huge that's coming up, like the whole impetus for season four. And if that's the case, I, I I might be making this up, but if that is the case, and if that was intentional, I mean, that's some masterful seeding. I mean, two seasons prior, that's pretty, I, I wouldn't put it past them though, that's, I buy that. And actually, I, I just remembered, there is a whole other thing that happens in this episode that also alludes to that same season season four and the whole jasmine reference so the trial is um angel is trying to earn a life basically yeah. right mm -hmm. and yep. he's told when it's over that uh you know they can't save darla because this is darla's second chance this is her second life they can't do anything yeah which is which is heartbreaking but we haven't touched on that but that that's a that's a, a, a sad moment yeah no we need to talk about the whole end the whole end scene between them and the the performances they give and the the yeah. shock that happens um but um I, i'm not 100 percent sure how well this is foreshadowed right here but but the jazz the jasmine reference makes me think that this must have also been intentional but i believe in season four they back reference the whole trial thing Okay. Because in season four, there is a life that's introduced. <laughs> there is a character that is introduced, and the implication, at least, I don't remember how overt this is ever made, but the implication is that that life was enabled by this trial. Right. If you know what I'm talking about. I, I do know what you're talking about. Again, it's I don't know why I, I'm being vague when I give I, so many you spoiler don't have warnings. To be, you, can just, you can just spell it out. It's I mean, I certainly would never have remembered the detail of that, but now you're saying it, I'm like, oh yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah, I can believe that. Again, without if they weren't both here, I would think I was making all this up, but because they also referenced Jasmine. Yes, yeah. Makes me think then. Anyways. So let's talk about the amazing tragic ending or or, or we can talk about because this is the episode that gives us um angel bursting into Lindsay's apartment right doesn't that happen in this one i believe it does yeah yeah with the whole you love her thing um yeah, that's right yeah i liked that scene just for the dynamic between the two of them i, I always like yeah, scenes that... where they get to be at each other's throats Ag agreed yeah no that, that's a fun scene you know david boreanaz and christian kane really play off each other really nicely in that bit uh, but yeah the the kind of final five five seven minutes of this episode 
probably the strongest five or seven minutes of the three episodes we've watched in mm-hmm. totality, I think. I mean, it's powerful stuff. So I, I couldn't quite remember how the trial ended. Uh, so to hear the explanation, oh, she's she's living a second chance. She's already earned her second chance. That's heartbreaking. You know, that that, that really cuts deep. And you really, really feel for both of them in that moment. And his, you know, Angel violently attacks the room around them like he just, he can't, he can't control himself. He's so furious and devastated and upset. Like, you can really feel that rage and frustration and devastation and despair. It, it all pours out of him there. And then there's the scene later on, Darla and Angel are talking with each other. And Darla's kind of, accepting of the situation she's mm-hmm. she's sort of says that maybe how much angel truly cares for her that revelation is enough for her in life that she accepts that that's you know perhaps her her purpose her reason now and uh he suggests that maybe he should just do as wolfram and heart have been pushing and just go it's, ahead and bite her it's really powerful the the yeah. way they're both working through that situation right there yeah working that's the perfect way to put it they're both kind of working through this kind of emotional trauma together this kind of so impossible position um but he offers you know having been so firmly against doing that and she says no, her second chance is to die the way she was supposed to die in the first place. I had tears in my eyes, man. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. uh, it's heartbreaking. It's yeah. So this episode has two of the better endings that any episode of Angel gives us, because that on its own would have been a memorable, yes, heartbreaking, <laughs> emotional ending to an episode that we would have looked back on and said, wow, that, that, that ending would have given this episode would have elevated this episode. Like I said, agreed. Yeah. The fact that we then get the actual ending. Yeah. So again, I, w- I was kind of emotionally reeling already. And then we get the gut punch as Lindsay and a gang from Wolfram and Hart break into the room restrain the two of them and Lindsay says to angel how did you think this would end mm-hmm. and then drew returns <laughs> and angel watches and she makes darla vampire i'm getting like goose pimples just talking about it again with you now it is like honestly the emotional gut punch and then that is like shocking i i wasn't expecting it you know obviously i knew that wolfram and Hart were not good people you know <laughs> but i didn't <laughs> think that I thought this was going to end with that emotional capper. And then that, that wrenching, shocking turn of events, you know, I, I can't imagine watching this on the night it aired and then being desperate to talk about it with everyone I knew, you know, it's one of those truly <laughs> stunning, perfectly judged, perfectly pitched, completely unexpected to me moments. Just I, really wonderful. I wish I could remember what my experience was watching it the first time but i i guarantee that my job was on the phone. like i guarantee i went through the same emotional yeah. roller coaster that you just talked about where i was i was probably like sobbing at that ending and then that happened and i was like what the hell jumping out of my chair right um <laughs> so just to clarify did you not remember that that was going to happen not no no ba- basically no <laughs> okay okay awesome 
Um, yeah, which reflects poorly on me for being a guest of this podcast, but I <laughs> no, had no. a great time watching that ending. <laughs> no, that's great. Um, yeah, I mean, that that ending is savage. Absolutely savage and brutal in, in multiple ways. Um, yeah. Like... <sighs> I'm so cautious about saying the name Whedon, but Whedon in the grander sense, in the broader sense, um, is famous for perhaps infamous for, um, giving fan. I mean, there's the whole goddamn cursible meme of, I never give the fans what they want. I give them what they need or whatever. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, but you know, the, the, the Whedon verse is infamous for giving fans, you know, a, a moment of happiness, a moment of true happiness, and then yanking it back away from them. And, uh, yeah, like this episode does that where, I mean, it breaks your heart with the whole, Oh, she's accepting her fate. And there, and angel promises to stay with her. And maybe in your mind, you're like, Oh, so Darla is going to become a regular part of the gang. And so the rest of the season yeah. is going to be her trying to fit in with the gang as she's slowly right. dying. And how emotional is that going to be? And angel promises to be there for her and Oh shit. That's not what's happening at all. Happening at all. Cause Drew's back. Yeah. No, it, it's, it's incredible total whiplash and it's employed in the very best way and like you said you know Whedon and his shows are famous for that kind of you know pulling the rug out from under you here it's even more impactful because often it turns something purely happy or joyous into something sad or concerning whereas here it's something that's already heart-wrenching a kind of devastatingly bittersweet and then into something that's like pure oh my god like it's two such strong emotions you feel <laughs> like it's i mean roller coaster almost doesn't do it justice it's like within two minutes you feel <laughs> as strongly as you can feel in yeah. two very powerful directions just really really great stuff yeah i uh I, it, it's so weird. Even looking at my page of notes right now, I looked at the title of the trial and I'm like, it's kind of a nothing episode. But as we're talking about, <laughs> as we're talking about just that ending moment, I'm like, this is, this is one of the greats. I, I think even if you're not a fan of the trial itself, which I get, you know, I, I had a great time with it. It also, it also reminded me of a very similar Sabrina, the teenage witch episode, which probably isn't the greatest review <laughs> to a, to a sequence in Buffy but I think the ending alone earns it you know if you get nothing else out of this episode that's such a great capper yeah it's a great it's 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 one of the great moments in my opinion um yeah. and um sadly for you you will not be joining me for the next episode where we were gonna <laughs> where we're gonna talk about the follow-up like how the show follows that up but um so I'm not going to be here to talk about it, but I'm I'm gonna I, I think I'm I'm gonna try and pick up Angel from the start, catch up and watch along. I think okay. getting through all of Buffy to this point, I'll never catch up with the podcast. But I think it's in my best interests to jump back to Angel, catch up to where we are, and then listen along with you, you and your guests. Okay, excellent. I'm very I'm very happy to hear that. And you can come back, having watched the uh, show. I would love to come back okay. and offer some genuine insight. I mean, instead of just saying, "Wow, I just watched a great episode of TV." <laughs> I mean, I have you're in the studio every episode, 
doing that reading, the intro reading live. Of I don't course. know why. I, I, I might as well stick around. Yeah. You know, a couple of other times. Right. It's exactly. it's been kind of rude, honestly. You haven't even offered me a drink before <laughs> this time. I'm, so, I'm such an <laughs> ass. Am I the asshole? Yes. Uh, all right. Well, this was great. Uh, is there anything else about any of the three that we missed that you wanted to comment on? I I think we've covered it all. I, I'll just you know reiterate that. I had a really great time with these. And um, yeah, it's, I suppose one other thing is that visually some of these episodes have aged a little bit, mm -hmm. but I think if these episodes were being made like on television right now, it would still feel like it was at the forefront of the medium. Like this is the end of the trial. Like if a, if a random Netflix series pulled something like that out of the bag right now, people would talk about it. Like this is television that holds up incredibly well. I agree. Absolutely agree. <sighs> yeah. All right. So Wezo exciting. I'm, I am excited that for the first time in our podcasting history, I may actually get you off mic before midnight your time. You know, so any listeners to gobbledygeek out there may be aware uh, that <laughs> traditionally recordings start at midnight for me UK time often roll on to 3am I think occasionally we went to 3.30 <laughs> but this time Paul has been gen I sound sarcastic I mean it sincerely generous and flexible we got to Mike at 10pm it's now quarter to midnight I'm going to be in bed on time my wife might not even be asleep that never <laughs> happens <laughs> I've uh, man, I, I feel dirty now. I don't I don't know. I've I've broken a tradition or something, but I'm very I'm very happy for you. So Wezo, thank you so very much for uh joining me. This was fantastic and uh I can't wait to have you back on this and Gobble League. Absolutely no, it's been we, such good fun. Real blast. I can't wait to be back. We still have an entire season of the Americans that we haven't reviewed. <sighs> Correct. We need to do Yeah, what well, we Exactly. Well, we still have three whole seasons to get through, but there's yeah, we, we really must get around to uh, season four. Yeah. Quick sharp. Yeah. So I don't know when that's going to happen since Arlo just dropped last night as I was recording the last night's episode of Gobbledy Geek. He just dropped on me that, oh yeah, next next week we're uh, we're reviewing the entire Matrix franchise. I was like, oh my god, <laughs> oh my god. Now I have to watch four movies and an animated uh, five movies. I have to watch five movies. That that that's pretty intense, but I'm I'm excited to get back to the Americans and uh, given the geopolitical situation we find ourselves mm -hmm. in, perhaps more relevant than ever. Yeah, that's true. It's going to be interesting to get back to that discussion now. For sure. Yeah. All right. Well, again, Wezo, thank you so much. Uh, let the listeners know how they can stalk you online. I have no idea what they would want to, but may maybe there's one listener out there who really gets their rocks off listening to that introduction. <laughs> In which case, please let me know. My wife will be thrilled to hear this. <laughs> um, you can find me at Twitter on Twitter at Wesley Mead and at WesleyMead.co.uk. You can find some of my writings, links to my Facebook. So if you want to see what you know, my wife and I have been getting up to recently, other kind of creepy stalker shit. <laughs> That's what it's all about. That's what the internet is for. Okay. Well, um, Wezo, you were a treasure. Thank you again. Um, and thank you everybody at home for listening. You can find links to this and all of our past episodes at the website conswithdead.com. 
Uh, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Uh, if you do that, please rate us or write us a review. That helps new listeners find the show. It spreads the all-important algorithm out there uh, and gets our name out. If you've got questions for me or any of my guests, or if you'd just like to join the conversation, you can drop us an email at conswithdead at gmail.com. Um, follow us on Twitter. I don't know why you'd want to, because I almost never post anything on Twitter, but <laughs> the account exists at conswithdead. Um, or you can reach out to us on Facebook at Conversations with Dead People. So uh, next time, a friend of the show, Sarah Koshif, makes her first return to the show since we've relocated from the Sunnydale Cemetery to the Los Angeles County Morgue. Uh, to mark the occasion, we'll be discussing episodes 210, Reunion, and 211, Redefinition. So until then, remember, if nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do. <laughs> <laughs>